بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على رسول الله وعلى آله وصحبه وسلم تسليما كثيرا إلى يوم الدين أما بعد اللهم لا علم لنا إلا ما علمتنا إنك أنت العليم الحكيم اللهم علمنا ما ينفعنا وانفعنا بما علمتنا وزدنا علما وعملا يا كريم رب شرح لي صدري ويسر لي أمري وحل لقدة من لساني يفقه قولي My dear brothers and sisters in Islam السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته Indeed, all praises belong to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We praise Him, we seek His assistance, and we seek His forgiveness. And we seek refuge in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala from the evil of our souls and the adverse consequences of our deeds. Uh, Whomsoever Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala decrees guidance upon, then none can misguide Him. And whomsoever Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala decrees misguidance upon, then none can guide Him. And peace and salutations be upon the final messenger, Muhammad ibn Abdullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. I bear witness that there is no one worthy of worship besides one Allah, and that Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam is his messenger. Uh, brothers and sisters in Islam, welcome uh, this 11th of April 2015 uh, 15 rather, uh, to our sixth, sixth uh, session in the series, Mukhtasar Zad al-Ma'ad or uh, a summary of the book titled Provisions for the Hereafter. Uh, this lesson six is counted as six after uh, our introductory session uh, that we had. Uh, subhanallah, the weeks do go by fast and uh, Friday appears and then disappears and then reappears um, You know, before we can even begin missing Friday, really. I really felt uh, this particular week uh, just was Friday to Friday, as if it was Friday and the next day uh, was Friday, Allahul Musta'an. And this is from the signs of Qiyamah, uh, my dear brothers and sisters. When Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam describes as a sign from the signs of Qiyamah, uh, this process of uh, the, the coming together of time, yataqarabu zaman the coming together of time. Um, and it doesn't mean that we will have less than 24 hours in a day. No, we'll still have 24 hours in a day. And it doesn't mean that we'll have less than 7 days in a week. We'll still have 7 days in a week. But um, blessings will be removed from time. This is what our scholars have, have taught us. That uh, from the signs of the hour is blessings being removed from time. Where you just stop feeling the minutes and the seconds. Right? Um, and it's like we see with money today. Right, where uh, a long time ago, perhaps a uh, hundred dollars or a hundred dirhams or a hundred rials um, would go a long way. And today, Subhanallah, you enter the market, and and uh, you know within your first five minutes, a hundred is is spent. Allahumma So this is uh, from the signs of Qiyamah, blessings being removed, and we really need to take the means of gaining blessings into our lives. From them is what we discussed. Uh, during our earlier sessions, the importance of saying Bismillah uh, before we do anything, starting the day with Bismillah. This is from the means of Barakah uh, and bringing back blessings into our, our, our day and blessings into our time and wealth. From the means of, of Barakah and blessings coming into our day and time is starting the day early. Right? Uh, as I explained to you earlier, the Prophet ﷺ said, Burika li ummati fi bukuriha. Uh, that blessed is my is my nation is my ummah in their earliness, right? Because Allah has put blessings, uh, you know, in that time of fajr and and straight after fajr, there's barakah in it, there's blessings in it. It's the best time to memorize the Quran, uh, and 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 even you know when you rest, 
the most peaceful rest that you have, you, you, you will experience, and Allah knows best, um, is, is, is after Fajr, for those who have a habit of uh, sleeping after Fajr, and I've heard this from many a person. Uh, from the means also of bringing blessings into our lives is to maintain the bonds of kinship. Uh, Rasulullah said in a hadith which is found in the Sunan books of hadith and is a hadith which is acceptable. He said sallallahu alayhi wasallam that uh, whoever um, wants to, to, to have their, uh, their, their life lengthened, their life lengthened, then they should uh, they should maintain the bonds of kinship. And, and, and the, the actual wording of the hadith is, مَنْ أَحَبَّ يُبْسَطَ لَهُ فِي رِزْقِهِ وَيُنْسَأَ لَهُ فِي أَجَلِ فَلْيَسْوِلْ رَحِمَهُ That the one who wishes to have uh, uh, abundance in his, in his sustenance, right? Uh, and, and wants to have abundance in his life, then, uh, or, or a longer life, then he should maintain the bonds of kinship. Subhanallah. You know, so a lot of, a lot, uh, in many cases, we belittle uh, looking after family ties and the bonds of kinship. Uh, but in reality, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has placed great blessings in our life uh, if we actually looked after those particular bonds. So looking after, uh, looking after those bonds uh, brings about barakah. It's a means of, you know, our hundred uh, rials or dollars or dirhams or whatever unit of currency we use. Um, you know, being with us as if it's 500, being with us as if it's 600. It's a means for us uh, towards having our one minute in our day, you know, uh, being like as if it's been an hour or half an hour or 45 minutes. And wallahi, we're in need of this. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protect us. I, I actually tweeted this on uh, on Thursday because, you know, it, it, it was something that struck a nerve with me. The, the fact that it was already Friday. I, I could actually remember the words of the khatib from the previous Friday. And Friday was already coming. And yes, we must always remember what our khatib or, or, or what the imam at the time of Jumu'ah tells us. But I'm saying, you know, I actually remembered the wordings, the sentences, you know, the, the way it was said, the emotions. Um, it was strikingly and vividly clear. And, and, and here we had the next thing. I'm sure many of you, you feel like this. And, and that's why I'm, I'm actually just touching on it. So, so make dua, brothers and sisters, that Allah brings back barakah in our lives. Uh, indeed, life is short. And ask Allah to grant us Laylatul Qadr. Indeed, we are in serious need of, of um, you know, catching this particular night. That this night, which is better than a thousand months, especially when our weeks d- disappear like how they have, and we barely can remember uh, our our deeds. Wallahi, we can barely remember our deeds of that week, and and, and whether you know that week was was better than the week before. This is how fast it's going. Allahul Musta'in. Uh, brothers and sisters, also in terms of uh, the start of the sixth lesson, we spoke in our last session about nurture versus nature and the whole concept of the fitrah. And uh, interestingly enough, this was asked. And, and even more interestingly enough, I, I actually had a discussion with uh, the, the Zad team uh, just a couple of days ago uh, about fitrah. Um, so in answer to the question that was asked, may Allah bless you all. Uh, and it's quite good if you use the forums, by the way. I just want to remind you all towards the, the Zad forums that uh, have been created for your benefit and the benefit of uh, everyone on the group. Uh, please use it. Ask your questions there. So at least when the answer comes about, then it's, it's mass benefit. 
it's not you know an answer that goes specific to one person. At least everyone else in the group uh, can actually get the answer. And also, what we are going to do, inshallah, to to get the groups moving a bit is uh, share topics of discussion, inshallah. So Hisham will be posting um, a, a topic of discussion uh, for us to uh, discuss. Uh, Hisham, if you want to stick the question on the whiteboard uh, now, please go ahead. Uh, but nonetheless, we spoke about nurture versus nature. And, um, you know, we spoke about two schools of thought with regards to this, the school of the scientists and the school of the philosophers. Um, and we said as Muslims, we, re- we really don't uh, agree totally with what the scientists say, nor do we agree totally with what the philosophers say. Rather, uh, we take a middle ground and we say that, yes, um, you know, um, our nature as well as our nurture or the elements of these two entities um, do have a part to play in, in terms of uh, our progress, in terms of development, in terms of uh, our intellectual progress, our mental maturity, uh, in terms of our understanding of life, uh, and in, even in terms of our physical growth. Uh, but what we do say as Muslims is that we are uh, truly a result from the outset of our natural disposition. And the nurture versus nature argument is that argument that uh, definitely pollutes the purity of the fitrah, of the natural disposition. So we by default are products of our fitrah, Muslims and non-Muslims alike. But yes, the nature versus nurture argument does have the ability to pollute the fitrah, And uh, when that happens, then uh, we can end up becoming products of either nurture or nature. And I think this is uh, a middle discussion. I think this is the middle way, and and, uh, this is the only way to look at it. And this is, or this conforms, and Allah knows best to the Quranic narrative. So, yes, nurture and nature does affect us, but by default, we're not a product of it. We're a product of our fitra and natural disposition, which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, has made pure and given to us as uh, a beacon of guidance. As a beacon of guidance. And this is clear uh, with Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Because Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam lived amidst a people that were, uh, or, or, or amidst um, a nurture, if we can uh, call it that, that really was not conducive, Right? Uh, there were a people that put uh, their rationale in front of revelation. There were people that uh, were slaves to their norms. Uh, in fact, even though they quote-unquote put their rationale in front of revelation, they had a very weak rationale, really. Um, especially given some of uh, the norms that we find at the time of Jahiliyyah. And that is why it is rightly called Jahiliyyah, ignorance. You know, so even though you're calling yourself or, or, or deeming yourself to be a person of rational, but in reality, um, you're a person of ignorance, and this is who uh, those people were before uh, Allah Subhanahu wa Taala sent Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam with the message. So Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam was upon his fitrah, and yes, Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam was even more special and protected because his chest was opened on more than one occasion, and as our scholars say. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala removed that which would make him prone to being uh, affected by um, you know, circumstance, being affected by the narrative. Right? So he was special in that regard. But nonetheless, even when we go to his best friend Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu, 
Abu Bakr was definitely guided by Allah before Islam, uh, but he never had his chest opened. But he definitely enjoyed a guidance from Allah because uh, the books of Sirah um, mentioned that Abu Bakr was also not from amongst those that uh, you know drank alcohol and, and sort of uh, engrossed himself in the evil ways of the people of Jahiliyyah. So uh, this is the discussion about our fitrah, about our natural disposition. It's pure by default. And then uh, by the software that we load, if I can use an IT analogy, uh, we have the ability to corrupt the fitrah. We have the ability to corrupt the fitrah. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows this better than we know it. And thus Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent prophets and revealed books to bring back this whole concept of perspective. Right, and when we talk about perspective or, 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 or what is considered perspective, then we say, you know, perspective is that which the natural disposition uh, is upon, or was created upon. That is perspective. And Allah sent the prophets and revealed books, um, uh, the Anbiya alayhim salatu wasalam, and revealed books to uh, help us reattach and realign ourselves with our fitrah or bring about the necessary recalibration that's needed in our lives. So lessons like this help. Reading the Quran helps. Going through the seerah helps. Attending the circles of knowledge help. Because yes, the prophets, uh, are, you know, or, or the the concept of prophethood has come to an end, but the legacy has not. The legacy has not. The legacy has been transferred to the ummah of Rasulullah, sallallahu alaihi. Uh, so the, the ulama, they are now carrying on the roles of the prophets and they, in their circles of knowledge, uh, are those elements that you and I require uh, to reconnect with our natural disposition. Now, shaitan, interestingly enough, when um, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala removed him from paradise and kicked him out uh, of the heavens, uh, he made a promise to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to take us astray. And um, uh, he, in the Quran, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us that shaitan has made a promise to uh, make us change uh, the khalq of Allah, the creation of Allah. Now obviously, uh, in terms of the statement, our scholars tell us that it's general and it entails any change to the khalq of Allah or any change to the creation of Allah. And that is why this ayah is used uh, a lot in the discussion pertaining to plastic surgery. Right? And um, what uh, human beings now uh, you know, spend a lot of money on doing, and, and in fact, it's become a great industry, the the the, the plastic surgery in, uh, industry, right? And 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 that is this whole concept of changing our bodily features uh, for females. You know, uh, they, they 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 change their bodily parts and uh, try and um, uh, create an image uh, that uh, perhaps they were not upon prior. Uh, yes, sometimes uh, the image they try to create is that which they were upon prior, but their bodies might have changed due to pregnancy or, and so on and so forth. Uh, but in most cases now, it's just become a case where people don't like the way Allah created them. Allah al-Musta'an, right? So they, they enter, this in, uh, they, they take uh, sort of guidance from this industry and start uh, changing their looks and so on and so forth. But this is not the discussion. This, uh, the, the point of reference is the ayah. That the ayah is general and uh, the scholars who discuss the, the rulings, the fiqh rulings pertaining to uh, uh, implants and, and uh, uh, all these copies, if I can call it that, uh, that entail uh, changing the body, the, then the scholars uh, use this as, as an ayah to prove that one is 
is not allowed to do so. Why? Because in general, this ayah talks about uh, shaitan promising to change the khalq of Allah, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala doesn't permit that. But coming also to the natural disposition, then this is from something which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created, and in fact created us upon. And changing the khalq of Allah entails changing this natural disposition. And this is what shaitan attacks. Shaitan attacks the fitrah. Shaitan attacks the fitrah. Think about it. You know, why would someone not be happy about the way Allah created them? And prefer to make changes based on human perception. And this is what happens. If, if we, let's just continue the narrative with plastic surgery. right? If you go to a doctor, what's going to happen? The doctor is going to tell you, well, we can do this to you and we can do that to you and we can do, uh, you know, we, we can uh, do a nip here and a tuck here and so on and so forth. This is what will happen. How is it that a person feels more comfortable putting their trust in the design of a human being who Allah created, who, is, who depends on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, right? They feel confident leaving their design in the hands of this person's mind and perception. And they feel uncomfortable leaving it uh, upon the way that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the creator of everyone in creation, has created it. How does that happen? Right? How does this happen? This can only happen when the natural disposition changes. When the khalq of Allah changes. When Iblis, shaitan, is successful in changing the khalq of Allah. Successful in polluting the natural disposition. This is what he attacks. And this is what he does for all reasons. For, for, for his benefit in the dunya, and for his benefit in terms of his promise to Allah with regards to the hereafter, with regards to him taking the masses that Allah has created to the hellfire. So he works on fitrah. Because when he works on fitrah, then what's going to happen is, you and I are going to start questioning the unquestionable. That's what's going to happen. All of a sudden, things which we would never dream of questioning now become plausible to question. Revelation, for example. The sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ, for example. We start questioning, you know, why, uh, we start questioning how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, has commanded society to be in an ideal way. We start questioning modesty. We start questioning the hijab. We start questioning uh, the presence of Allah even, subhanAllah. This is what he gets to. We start questioning uh, even our acts of worship. I've come across young uh, budding youth who question wudu and cannot understand why it is legislated to make wudu if somebody passes wind. May Allah honor you all. These are real discussions, my dear brothers and sisters. And I promise not to make Zad, you know, just sticking to, to text, but rather uh, make, you know, giving life to the text and ask Allah to give me that, that ability. And that's why we're having this very necessary discussion here. Consider it as part of the book that we study. So why is it that now we can even have Muslims question wudu? May Allah honor you all. They say if I pass wind, it doesn't make sense that I must wash my hands and rinse my mouth and rinse my nose and wipe my head and wash my feet. Right? Doesn't make sense that I pass wind and, you know, if it was said that you need to, you know, wash your private parts, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala honor you all, this would make more sense. Right? This is, this is the narrative, this is the reality, brothers and sisters. This is what the youth are speaking about now. How does it get to this? How does it get to this when prior it was something you'd never ever question? It's something that you naturally accepted and it wasn't even something that you felt as odd. Wallahi. It wasn't something that you felt as odd. And all of a sudden, you find it odd. And you and I need to also, you know, remember I told you we need to have those thinking days? 
One of the things we need to think in those days is how in tune are we with our fitrah? Or how in tune is, is our fitrah actually? We need to have those days where we sit, we sit down and ask ourselves that, you know, are there matters of religion that subhanAllah we never used to question and now we're starting to question? Used to make total sense and all of a sudden doesn't make sense? I'm the same person. The revelation is the same. Nobody came to change it. The words of the Prophet ﷺ are his words. The words in the Quran are the, is the same. I'm the, I'm the same person in terms of my physical uh, appearance and physical presence. But some, you know, the fact that something all of a sudden has, 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 has taken a tip in terms of my uh, understanding of it um, definitely shows that something has happened. There's something, something has changed with me. And a lot of the time we don't put that change down to our fitrah. So shaitan attacks the fitrah. When he pollutes the fitrah, we start questioning the unquestionable. When the fitrah has become polluted, something which was wrong and nobody would debate it being wrong becomes totally right. Right? And this is it. We live in an age, my dear brothers and sisters, where you are wrong when you're actually right. And nobody knows anymore what's right from wrong. This is the reality of the age that we live in. And feel free to throw comments in the chat box if you, if you feel me and feel these statements that I'm speaking about here. And, and if you have you know, your own uh, thoughts about this. This is a reality. This is the age we live in. right? Yesterday, marriages which, which governments would, would, would consider illegal. right? Consider illegal. You'd be fined. You may be jailed because of, 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 of a particular style of marriage. Today is totally acceptable. Totally acceptable. And... I mean, it's not as if the the uh, the realities of of those once upon a time totally un- unacceptable marriages have changed. It's still the same. It's still the same. So how come all of a sudden the unquestionable became questionable, and then the questionable became not questionable, right? Because when when certain things become legal, now you can't even question it. And if you question it now, society has reached a stage where uh, they classify you. They classify you. Right? You're a backward person, you're living in the cave age, you're living in this age, you're living in this age. Uh, time has gone on and so on and so forth. And, and, and don't get me wrong, brothers and sisters, I'm not disputing uh, the, the Sharia's ability to cater for every time span. But I am saying that in life, there's thawabit and there's mutaghayyirat. There's the established matters that will never change. And there's the mutaghayyirat, that those matters that will change depending on demographic and, and geography, the demographics and, 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 and geography. Right? We have thawabit and mutaghayyirat. The scholars of Usul al-Fiqh have highlighted this and stated this. So it's not that if a Muslim says something or if somebody holds steadfast onto something which the Sharia has cited as a thawabit, uh, the constants, that uh, you and I uh, are, should be seen as backwards. No, this, this is the reality. Right, uh, and the reality is thawabit and mutaghayyirat, these uh, concepts that are open to change and, and, and the established matters that are not, uh, the, the constant matters, this exists in every law and every place and every norm. It's, it's not something specific to Islamic law. Right, so this is, when the fitrah changes, we find these changes happening. Now, shaitan will, shaitan will, attack the fitrah, even though it takes longer to change the fitrah. But shaitan will affect us using our fitrah as a point of attack. Why? Because even though it takes long, it might take a hundred years, it might take two hundred years for shaitan to uh, shift the fitrah, he will pursue it. Why? Because once done, it's very difficult to change. It's very difficult for someone to change it. 
right? And that's why I said Shaitan is 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 a specialist uh, in deception, and he's very patient. You know, something we, patience we need to learn. We don't want to learn anything from Shaitan, but Shaitan is patient. He asked Allah, Rabbi anzirni ila yawm yub'athun. He asked Allah to keep him till, alive till the day of Qiyamah. He's very patient. So it will take him 100, 200 years to change the fitrah, but he will pursue that. Right? As opposed to, for example, changing revelation. Changing revelation is easier. It's easier in that it happens quicker. You don't have to wait a hundred years to convince someone to change revelation. But for shaitan, that is not good usage of resources. And remember last week we spoke about being strategic people, right? Shaitan, you know, I was speaking to to the Zad team earlier, and I was speaking to them about this concept called Rose. Uh, in 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 uh, in entrepreneurship and more specifically uh, in uh, more specifically uh, in terms of the financial health of a company, right? Um, they call it ROS, uh, which is return on on capital employed, return on capital employed, right? Shaitan is a professional on this. Subhanallah, Shaitan is a professional on this. Right? He's not going to try and change revelation, waste his time trying to change revelation. No. Why? Because with regards to revelation, he knows that Rasulullah said with regards to this ummah, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will send uh, every 100 years a mujaddid, a reviver. Right? Someone who will, um, who will come and return matters to that which they're supposed to be upon. Someone who will come and speak out uh, a message that conforms to the natural disposition even though everyone is speaking something else. So this is not conducive for shaitan to spend years changing something that, uh, will, uh, that, that, you know, uh, that, uh, that will not last because Allah will send someone to reverse the work of shaitan. So with regards to revelation, Allah has protected it. And Allah has promised to protect it. Uh, just bear with Brother Hisham. I see he's having some uh, I- uh, internet difficulties popping in and out of class for those who are writing messages to him uh, in the chat box. Uh, inshallah, he will be with us uh, shortly. Uh, but coming back to the point, my dear brothers and sisters, that you know, Shaitan is not going to invest resources in that which will be reversed. Rather, he spends a longer time investing his resources in that which will barely be reversed. And to be honest, once the fitrah changes, then the people themselves will attempt to change revelation. So the end result uh, uh, with regards to the revelation will also happen for shaitan. Although they won't be able to do that with the Qur'an. And we've seen how well the sunnah is protected. And the protection of the sunnah is part of the promise of Allah to protect the Qur'an. Because the meanings of the Qur'an are in the sunnah of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa Right? So this will never be able to happen. But sadly, we see people today try to change the Quran, not physically, but through meaning. They try and say, no, this ayah doesn't mean this, it means that. Right? And then they come with uh, a warped uh, sort of type of usul, right? Uh, a warped sort of uh, uh, warped principles that they build their arguments upon. And they convince the layperson or the person without the knowledge. Uh, because they come with structure to their discussion. And they say, look, based on this, based on that, and based on these factors, we see that this ayah really didn't mean that, rather it meant this. So you can't change the wordings of the Qur'an, but now you've changed people's perception of 
what those words mean in the Quran. Allahul Musta'an. Ala kulli hal, brothers and sisters. This is, I wanted you to take time answering the question because it's a very good question. It's a very good question, especially in this day and age. You know, where brothers and sisters uh, um, practicing Islam is like, is like holding uh, burning coal. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said a time will come when uh, practicing Islam will be like, like holding burning coal. It's difficult. It's difficult. You know, if you be modest, you are classified as a backward person. When modesty really is, is, is from the core elements of, of, of the fitrah, believe it or not. Modesty is from the core elements of the fitrah, right? When, um, uh, when you know, the Prophet ﷺ was sending his messages to the different kings, to the different rulers, and uh, the different leaders, and the non-Muslims were uh, trying to counteract, uh, uh, you know, the proposal and counteract the da'wah. And they stood in front of these, um, you know, these non-Muslim heads. Uh, in one incident in the seerah, uh, the leader asked uh, these people from the Quraysh, that who is this person and what does he command you to? And they themselves testified that he commands us to worship one Allah and to be people of modesty. Right? People of afaf, people of purity, and people of modesty. This is what Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa came with to keep the fitrah intact. So from the elements um, of the fitrah is modesty. And when modesty is attacked, that's a clear sign that the fitrah has changed. This is a clear sign that fitrah has, has been changed because uh, the directive of the fitrah and the natural disposition is to encourage modesty, is to encourage human beings to cover. And testimony of this is in, the, in our father Adam salam and our mother Hawa salam. Testimony of this is in that, because when they ate from the tree that Allah forbade them uh, from, what happened? Right? We all know the story. Right? They became exposed. And what was the first thing they did? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us in Surah Al-A'raf, for example. Right? They, they started uh, grabbing from the, the, the leaves of the trees of Jannah and started covering themselves. Started covering themselves. Right? And when we ponder over the story, brothers and sisters, we learn that... You know, showing yourself more really is a net result of being sinful. Allah knows best. But when the sin was committed, exposure happened. So love for exposure, Allah knows best, right? Can allude to a person having this love to be sinful. Because uh, love for obedience... And obedience which nurtures the natural disposition by default will nurture a love to be covered. Because it's from human nature to cover. As was the case with Adam alayhi salam and Hawa alayhi salam. Right? And Allah tells us in the, in, in, in the Quran that don't let shaitan uh, put you in, 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 in a position where he exposes you. يَنزِعُ عَنْهُمَا لِبَاسَهُمَا لِيُرِيَهُمَا سُؤَاتِهِمَا إِنَّهُ يَرَاكُمْ هُوَ وَقَبِيلُهُ مِنْ حَيْثُ لَا تَرَوْنَهُمْ إِنَّا جَعَلْنَا شَيَاطِينَ أَوْلِيَاءَ لِلَّذِينَ لَا يُؤْمِنُونَ Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us in his book, in Surah Al-A'raf for example, about shaitan and how he caused uh, humankind to become exposed and become naked. Right? And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, don't allow yourself to fall prey to this, 
don't expose your natural disposition to him. Don't let your fitrah become polluted by him. Right? Where he, he gives you, uh, he, he makes you hate modesty and makes you love exposure. Because loving exposure is, 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 is loving uh, sins and being sinful. And loving modesty is loving obedience. That's the reality. So don't let shaitan pollute you. Don't sh- let shaitan expose you. And as Allah says, إِنَّهُ يَرَاكُمْ Indeed, He sees you. هُوَ وَقَبِيلُهُ Him and His people. Shaitan and His people. مِنْ حَيْثْ لَا تَرَوْنَهُمْ Whilst you see them not. إِنَّا جَعَلْنَا shayateen. Indeed, we have made the shayateen, the devils, Iblis and, and, and his group, uh, awliya, uh, helpers and assisters uh, for those who disbelieve. Allah, may Allah protect us. So anyway, I hope I've, I've shed uh, some light uh, on this question and, and uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, knows best. If you have any questions, brothers and sisters, about this concept of fitrah, natural disposition, and some of the insights uh, that we have shed, uh, inshallah we can uh, discuss them uh, during the Q&A. Uh, at the end of, of the session. So, uh, last week we, we, we discussed this um, issue of nature versus nature. Alhamdulillah, is one of the, uh, the last things that um, we uh, discussed. And Alhamdulillah, uh, last week also we said we're just going to have or traverse uh, through some of the elements pertaining to the life of the Prophet ﷺ. I know some people have said, are we going to go through the whole seerah? No, we, 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 uh, we can't do that, brothers and sisters, because that is uh, a series and topic in and of itself. But just some elements uh, specific to the life of the Prophet ﷺ, um, for many reasons. One of them is because Ibn al-Qayyim rahmatullahi alayhi himself uh, does traverse through the life of Rasulullah wasallam. And number two, the more we learn about the Prophet wasallam, the more we love him. And the more we love him, the, the, the more able and ready we are to follow him. And the reality of this book is it just shares guidance on every aspect of the life of the Prophet ﷺ. So if we're ready to follow him, we'll be ready to accept uh, the many matters of guidance that Ibn al-Qayyim rahmatullahi alayhi uh, has cited. In, in, in all honesty, uh, the summarized version that you have in front of you uh, actually uh, skips many or several parts from the original writings of Ibn al-Qayyim. So um, obviously uh, we read... Um, the second part, which is talking about you know the, obli- the obligation of knowing the messenger, and straight after that, uh, Imam Muhammad ibn Abdul Wahhab, uh, rahmatullahi alayhi, he goes on to mention the Prophet's guidance with regards to wudu or ablution. Uh, but if you go to the original book of Ibn al-Qayyim rahmatullahi alayhi, he does mention uh, many other facts uh, before that. From them he mentions this run-through that I'm, I'm, I've told you about uh, through the life of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. After that he actually goes uh, through a quick run-through some of the adab and etiquettes. Etiquettes in the life of the messenger uh, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. You know, like how he dressed, what he ate, what he liked, what he disliked, how was he with those matters that he, he disliked, how was he as a husband, and so on and so forth. So he, he does go through those certain adab, you know, the, uh, the mannerisms, the morals, the, the, the etiquettes, uh, before uh, Ibn al-Qayyim rahmatullahi alayhi then goes into the main chapters of his writing, which is the guidance of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam with the many aspects of, of worship. So inshallah, to be true to his writings, uh, we are treading uh, a, a, a similar path, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala 
knows best. Uh, brothers and sisters, uh, as we summarized quickly last week, Rasulullah wasallam he was an orphan before he was born, and then he was an orphan again after he was born with the passing away of his mother, and his mother away passed away uh, at uh, the age uh, of uh, six years of age, and um, there's no difference of opinion, as we said, uh, that his mother, uh, Amina, uh, passed away uh, between Mecca and Medina, in a place known as Al-Abwa. Al-Abwa. Uh, we're still having uh, technical issues with uh, Hisham, and, and that's why the board is not being updated, but I pray uh, that you're all taking your own notes as well, and as always, inshallah, uh, you will get um, a summary of the class um, after the session, and inshallah the recordings will be made uh, available as well. So there's no difference of opinion that she passed away between Mecca and Medina, and we were discussing our Prophet sallallahu allegiance to Medina even before he migrated uh, to Medina. That there were there were elements in his history um, associated with uh, Medina. And after uh, his mother uh, passed away. Uh, his grandfather Abdul Muttalib uh, took him into uh, his care, and Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam was looked after by uh, his grandfather, and his grandfather loved him a lot. And, and uh, as I shared with you last week, when he was born, Abdul Muttalib was the one who named him Muhammad and held him up at the Kaaba, and he said, "I'm naming him Muhammad, the praised one, because um, or with the intention of him being praised." Subhanallah, right? So this is Allah's plan in motion. Allah's plan in motion, that Allah inspired uh, the grandfather to name him uh, Muhammad. And we also said that it wasn't a common name at that time. It's not like today, mashaAllah. It wasn't a common name at that time. So there was no one who could run and take claim to, uh, to prophethood. And even the few people who were named Muhammad at that time, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protected prophethood and revelation from being polluted by them ever claiming uh, um, uh, you know, uh, affiliation to prophecy and revelation and prophethood. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protected anyone with the name, the few people who had the name from actually laying claim uh, to uh, prophethood. When the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa was eight, obviously his uh, grandfather passed away and then Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa was taken into the care of uh, Abu Talib, one of the many uncles uh, of uh, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa Now Abu Talib, he was a wise man, um, he was a man who didn't have many of the evil traits of the Quran and a great support of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam as we all know and he was not rich and he had a big family uh, but he was good to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and that is why Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam took Ali radiallahu an into his care after Ali radiallahu an married Khadija radiallahu anha because now Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam was standing on his feet he had a home uh, he was married and he wanted to reciprocate the good uh, that he received from his uncle so he offered to take care of of uh, Ali radiallahu an. This is what he did Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, teaching us the good qualities of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam even before uh, he became a prophet. Right? He, he had these good qualities. He had these good qualities. Uh, and he was thoughtful. And he was not selfish. And he was selfless. So uh, he wanted to help the home of Abu Talib. Thus he took one of his children, his younger one. And uh, it was Allah's decree that Ali grew up in the home of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. May Allah gather us with the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and his companions in Jannah. 
Amin. And um, also, just a point to note from these brothers and sisters, you know, the fact that um, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam could bring Ali into his home, even though he's married to Khadija and Khadija has no relationship to Ali, uh, this teaches us that, um, uh, you know, that that marriage should be an institution of responsibility and not just rights. And again, I'm just touching on this because, you know, almost every day, subhanallah, almost every day, um, I have sisters writing in uh, and brothers calling in related to marriage problems. Marriage problems, you know. And subhanallah, it's, it's, it's sad to see um, the rate of unhappy marriages today. And I'm not just talking about in, this, in the Indian subcontinent or those of Indian subcontinent origin, but even in the Arab world and in the Muslim world in general. It's sad to see that we have uh, this rate, this rate uh, of sadness in marriages when uh, we have Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam as our teacher, right, uh, and guide and leader, and he was the best husband, right. So uh, the fact that Ali was not related to Khadija radhiyallahu anha um, uh, wasn't an issue. It wasn't an issue when he brought Ali into his home. Today probably it would be an issue. Allah knows best, right? So Hisham, could you just correct it on the whiteboard? It's Khadija, not Fatima. Barakallahu feek. So today this would probably be a, be an issue if a husband, you know, wants to bring his his uh, his nephew uh, to live indefinitely uh, in, you know our home or in his home, this might be an issue. Allah knows best. I'm not, you know, with, all, with uh, sincere respect to our sisters. I'm, I, I don't want to be stereo-minded here because that's being oppressive. Right? Uh, or, or oppression is a darkness on the day of Qiyamah. I don't mean to oppress anyone. We have many of the best sisters on the face of this earth as part of the Muslim Ummah, walillahi alhamd, who would happily support their husband in doing so. Walillahi alhamd. But you know what I'm saying is just being specific to this example. How Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam brought Ali in. It, was, it never needed a long discussion. It never needed, uh, you know, a debate. It never needed uh, a run through, uh, you know, the, the life of the husband husband and the wife and, and who did more for the other and who has assets and who has liabilities and subhanAllah this is today how some marriages work. It works upon this platform whereby you know the wife will say well I was good to you so many times and you you in debt or the husband will say well I was good to you so many times and you in debt you owe me and because you owe me now I, I you have to allow me to do this. No my dear brothers and sisters. You know uh, marriage, as Allah says, it's, it's, it's built upon mawadda and rahmah. It's, it's built upon love and it's built upon mercy. It's not built upon, uh, you know, balance sheets, my dear brothers and sisters, or, or as Hisham has written here, as scorecards, right? It's not built upon this. It's built upon love and mercy. It's built upon responsibility. You only look at the rights when, when the marriage is on the verge of destruction. But you don't live upon rights when, when, you know, when, when your marriage is fluid and happy. You live upon responsibility. And in fact, the marriage cannot be fluid and happy except when both parties live upon responsibility. That, you know, uh, even though it, it might have been Khadija's right to, uh, you know, um, to, to show her unhappiness, if she did have unhappiness, uh, for this decision that Rasulullah made, it was her responsibility not to. Right? And, and inshallah, she, it wasn't the case that she was unhappy. She was happy because she was a, an amazing person. And, and we'll see this when we come to the wives of Rasulullah later. She was an amazing person. But let's hypothetically say, even if she had an objection, 
And it was her right to. It was a responsibility not to. And nowhere in the books of Sirah does it ever state that she objected to this. In the same breath, the books of Sirah speak about Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa when he married Khadija. Right? Uh, she had a child called Hind. As Ibn Kathir mentions in Al-Bidaya and uh, uh, other uh, historians, they mention that she had uh, a child called Hind. And they say that Rasulullah was to Hind as a father would be to a child. He never behaved with Hind as if this is not my child, you know, so I will be good to the child, but there's a certain limit. No! He was so good to the child, better than, as some of the historians say, better than how a father would be to a child generally. Subhanallah. You know, and, and obviously he's Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. He's the best of the best. He, that was responsibility. Right? It was responsibility. Responsibility is what makes you go the distance, my dear brothers and sisters. So take this uh, into consideration uh, as we break for uh, this particular break. So we're at this particular point here where we're discussing Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam with uh, Ali in his home looking after Ali um, out of responsibility, walillahi alhamd, and in reciprocating the good that um, uh, Ali's father, uh, Abu Talib, uh, did with Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam when he took Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam under his wing and under uh, his care. And I mean, you can, you can mature the discussion in your minds and your hearts, brothers and sisters, because you know the history in, de- in detail and you know how Abu Talib supported Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. You know, and this is how it is. You know, this is how it is when you, when, when, when you mend hearts. This is how it is when you touch hearts. And we need to be people who touch hearts more often. You know, perhaps write that in gold and tweet it. We need to become people that touch hearts uh, more often. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best. Let's take a break till 9.55 a.m. Makkah time. And inshallah, uh, I will see you after the break. Wa sallallahu wa sallam wa baraka ala nabiyina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'een. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Alhamdulillah wa salatu wa salamu ala rasulillah wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa man wala. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Uh, welcome everybody to part two. Uh, and I pray you had uh, a restful uh, break full of blessings. Ameen, ameen. So uh, we stopped at the point with Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam being taken care of by uh, his uncle uh, Abu Talib. Abu uh, Talib. And um, when Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam was 12 years old, and uh, in some history books it says 9 years old, uh, Abu Talib decided to uh, travel with him um, on a journey for the purposes of trade. And uh, on this particular journey, uh, they met uh, a Christian monk by the name of Bahira. And uh, this Christian monk recognized the signs of prophethood in the Prophet wasallam, and advised uh, Abu Talib and Abu Talib, uh, or advised Abu Talib against continuing the journey because uh, the Christian monk knew that the the Jews might cause harm, uh, or you know, most likely will cause harm to the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. Uh, especially since uh, you know the awaited prophet will not be from uh, their heritage. So Abu Talib continued the journey, but he he actually sent Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam back. Obviously, Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam was uh, a young boy. Was uh, a young boy. Uh, in in some narrations, uh, it actually states that. Um, 
Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam was sent back with Bilal. With Bilal. Um, and this view, uh, this actually, this uh, narration is in Sunan At-Tirmidhi. Sunan At-Tirmidhi and uh, the narration is actually uh, considered uh, acceptable and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, knows best because his narration uh, definitely has um, acceptable narrators uh, in it. However, Ibn al-Qayyim rahmatullahi alayhi in his book Zad al-Ma'ad, uh, he disagrees with this particular point. And he says it's not plausible to think that uh, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam or at that age was sent back with, uh, with Bilal uh, because most likely Bilal uh, wasn't even uh, part of the scene. Uh, at this particular part of the life of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And Allah knows best. And this is something that Ibn al-Qayyim rahmatullahi alayhi has, has stated. Uh, then Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam traversed uh, another journey. And that when he wa- that's when he was around the age of, of 25. He went to Sham, right? Uh, the Levant region. Uh, he went to, to, to Sham, and uh, obviously for purposes of trade. And uh, this was for uh, Khadija radiallahu anha. Right, because he, he worked for her, radiallahu anha. And Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam had other jobs, like he used to herd uh, sheep uh, as well. Right, He was a shepherd, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said all the prophets were shepherds. Um, and uh, they even said, and what about you? And he said, even myself. The companions asked about him, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And subhanallah, uh, the ulama discussed this point, you know, of uh, being a shepherd. And it says, it, it actually prepares you for prophethood. Because um, sheep have uh, qualities or they have similarities to human beings. It's not the same when you, for example, uh, uh, you know, you herd camels, for example. Right, um, but it, it, or cows, for example. But it is the case with sheep, because firstly, sheep uh, like to be communal; they like to be together, and uh, they take confidence and strength by being together. And that's why you see them grazing together. You see them grazing together, and um, when one of them becomes lost, it's difficult for them to find their way back. They require a guide, and that's the job of the shepherd. Right, and um, you know even the patience levels with sheep and so on and so forth. There's there's these similarities that when you spend time with them, it's very therapeutic, and uh, you as a human being, uh, you develop as well. You develop as well because you must be patient, um, and you know Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam had this as a job. And that's why it's important, brothers and sisters, that you and I, uh, you know, we always look uh, at, at, at financial stability. And uh, we look at people who are skilled and people who are able to, you know, uh, or have that vision to be financially stable. Uh, especially, you know, those running da'wah organizations. It shouldn't be that, you know, we run the da'wah organization uh, in a manner that we're always dependent on fundraisers. It shouldn't be. Yes, the fundraisers need to happen. It's part and parcel of, of, of life, uh, especially in the age that we are in. But uh, your organization should not be one dependent on it. There should be a vision within the organization to make the organization uh, self-sufficient and self-reliable. After Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, of course. So that vision has to be there. And it's part of good leadership to enable, um, you know, this function coming into play either by creating a waqf which needs leadership and it's a means of making the organization stable or by creating business projects, right? 
that are, are, uh, which can also be uh, placed under the waqf concept, where you create a business concept and you, 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 you strike that uh, business as a waqf. For the, you make it for the sake of Allah that all of its, its fruits uh, goes into the da'wah, for example. Right? So Rasulullah taught us this before prophethood, and he also taught us this after prophethood, because he taught us that the able Muslim is more beloved to Allah than uh, the less able one, or the more able one is more beloved to Allah than the less able one. And he taught us about uh, you know, uh, the importance of not being people that have their hands out to people. And uh, he warned us against this concept of begging, especially with no need. So, uh, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam was uh, a shepherd and this was part of his, his, his uh, work ethics growing up or his work descriptions. And later on he also became a tradesman and he traded on behalf of Khadija uh, anha, and he did it uh, well. So he went to Sham at the age of 25 and he went to this place which was considered to be uh, situated on the southeast of Damascus known as Basra. So this is another Basra on the southeast of uh, Damascus, and then he uh, he returned. And after his return, he married Khadija bint Khuwailid, radiyallahu uh, anha, this affluent female who also enjoyed um, a noble lineage and a female who was respected by the Quraysh. And look how Allah subhanahu wa taala was putting everything into place. I mean, look at the plan of Allah, right? The Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam is twenty-five, according to. Uh, um, uh, a view, right? Uh, in some views, it says that he married her whilst he, when he was thirty. Uh, and some views say that uh, he was um, twenty-one, right? And um, with her age being forty. Some views have her at forty-five. And as I told you last week, there's a, uh, or I think I did, uh, that there's another view which uh, is considered strong by some of the scholars, or, or plausible at least by some of the scholars, although it's not famous that she was only uh, 28 uh, years of age, and Allah knows best. So, as you can see, I mean, in terms of the historians, uh, there's, there's, we, won't, we won't say conflicting uh, arguments, or not even arguments, but conflicting statements. We'd say there's a plethora of statements, or different statements, and this is not strange. Because as I said, you know, the, the time before wasn't like the time today. It wasn't a case whereby there were birth certificates and marriage certificates and so on and so forth. These are uh, approximates. These are approximates. And by default, if you differ uh, in terms of the age of marriage uh, one of the parties, then you're going to d- differ uh, in terms of the age of marriage of the other party. So, with regards to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, just to quickly summarize again, some say that uh, he was 25, some say uh, that he was 30, some say that he was 21, some say Khadija was 40, some say she was 45, 45 is a, uh, uh, sorry, she was 40, uh, not 45, please forgive me, that's a slip of the tongue. Uh, some say she was 40, and uh, some other views uh, state that she's, she was 28. Obviously, the famous view is that she was 40. You can delete the 45, that was a slip of the tongue. Uh, some say she was 40, and there is a, another view that is considered plausible, but not so famous, that she was 28. Uh, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best. So, uh, he married someone affluent, and again, just take your attention to the, uh, you know, you know, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala being in charge of the situation, that this is who Allah chose for him, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, before he became a prophet. So after he became a prophet, even then, no one could attack him. Nobody could attack his modesty. No one could attack his family. 
Right? And this is the reality. No one attacked Rasulullah wasallam's family even before uh, he became a prophet. Right? So his credibility was intact through and through. Walillahi alhamd. Through and through. Right? They couldn't attack him via his children. They couldn't attack him via uh, his parents. They couldn't attack him via uh, his, his wife before he became a prophet. They couldn't attack him with regards to his wives after he became a prophet of Allah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. His credibility was solid and this was from the way of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala with his messenger protecting revelation to come. And a lot of the time we look at revelation and its protection, you know, for example, during the life of the prophet or after the life of the Prophet ﷺ. But in reality, uh, the robust nature of protection of revelation and uh, the legacy of the final Prophet Muhammad ﷺ was far in place and in motion even before the birth of the Prophet ﷺ because we discussed uh, the death of his father before uh, he was even born. ﷺ. And all this was in play to protect uh, the final revelation. Um, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is upon all able and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is all uh, wise. Then, uh, with regards to Khadija radiallahu anha, uh, he loved her dearly, she was a great support, she had great maturity, and she was the first Muslim. And normally we say um, she was the first female Muslim, but she was the first Muslim, subhanallah. You know, and, 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 and this point alone should be that point that stands in the face of all those that say Islam really doesn't give a podium and platform to females and Islam sort of sets them back. No, Islam is a religion of equity and puts everything in its place. It puts everything in its place. With regards to us and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, we are upon an equal footing. Every male and every female has the chance to earn from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Right? And this is true. This is true. You know, um, and that's why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَلَا تَتَمَنُّوا مَا فَضَّلَ اللَّهُ بِهِ بَعْضُكُمْ عَلَىٰ بَعْضٍ Don't, you know, start desiring uh, the, the, the benefits that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given to one gender over the other. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has placed everything upon a, a, a platform of true justice. A platform of true justice. You know, that even a female, uh, she's not commanded to go to the jama'ah to observe the salah, but... In, uh, you know, even that, though that's not the case, and, and, and a great blessing has been placed upon the men who observe it in jama'ah, we find Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa saying, but her salah in her home is better. Subhanallah. It's better. It's better. Right? So, alhamdulillah. You know, in terms of, 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 of human beings, irrespective of gender, with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, we're all upon equal footing. We all have the ability to build the grand jannah that we aspire. It's not that it's, you know, Islam is the case that a female has a particular jannah that she aspires to build, but, you know, she, uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has revealed the laws in such a way that she's prevented from doing so. Well, iyadu billah, absolutely not. Absolutely not. And that's why there's no credence, no credibility uh, to those who throw this false accusation against Islam. No. In terms of us with Allah, we are upon an equal footing. Each and every one of us has the ability to build the Jannah we aspire. And indeed, we'll enter Jannah with the mercy of Allah. May Allah shower His mercy upon us. But yes, with regards to physical matters then, uh, because Islam is built upon true justice, it's put everything in its place. 
it has not made a female a male, nor has it made a male a female. Otherwise, uh, what's the point of, of even having the term male and having the term female? Why not just call them both male or call them both female? Right or wrong, brothers or sisters? You know, um, and as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, mentions in his book, وَاللَّيْلِ إِذَا يَغْشَى وَالنَّهَارِ إِذَا تَجَلَّى وَمَا خَلَقَ الذَّكَرُ وَالْأُنْذَى إِنَّ سَعْيَكُمْ لَشَتَّى Allahu Akbar. This is, this is a clear uh, revelation from Allah. Where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala takes an oath by different parts of His creation because He created it subhanahu wa ta'ala. And Allah draws our, create, our attention to the differences in the creation. Allah talks about the night. When it thickens and darkens. And He talks about the day when it, when it thickens in terms of brightness and brightens. And is the day which is thick in 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 brightness and brightens uh, and brightness the same as the night that is thick in 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 in, in its darkness? Absolutely not. It's different. Absolutely not. And that's why we call the day day and we call the night night. Allahu Akbar. So Allah Subhanahu wa Taala in the surah draws our attention to differences, and then He says, "Wa ma khalaqa and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, uh, makes manifest and apparent uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's creation of humankind existing as two genders, dhakar and untha. That there's a difference here as well. Just like the day is different to the night and we have day and night, a male is different to a female, though we have male and female. And then Allah says, Inna sa'yakum lashatta. After taking these oaths, Allah says, Indeed, your sa'i, uh, your, your way to Allah, and your efforts and your mannerisms are many. Lashatta, many and different. Allahu Akbar. Many and different. Right? Uh, not the same. Not the same. So it's from, uh, you know, from, from the natural matters. It's from the natural matters that we will have differences in terms of how we uh, conduct our lives and go about our lives and endeavor Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Why? Because naturally we are different people. We are male and female. And not just by name, by physical makeup as well. Not so brothers and sisters? Absolutely. Absolutely. So, um, uh, this, is, this is what you call justice. Alhamdulillah. Right? And even in worship, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given certain acts of, uh, has made certain acts of worship specific, right? Uh, or given certain rulings which are specific or gender specific. Like for example, females, they shouldn't fast the month of uh, the Ramadan if they're on their periods. And they shouldn't pray if they're on their periods, for example. This is a mercy from Allah. Because they're different to males. Males don't experience menses. And because of that difference, it's... It's, it's, it's from being unjust to ex- expect the male to have the same ruling as the male in this particular uh, matter when the physical makeup is different and the physical makeup has implications, right? That are gender specific. Allahu Akbar. So this is really uh, common sense, really. And, and, and I pray uh, you are following and, and, and the message uh, has come uh, across. In any case, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam married this amazing female and she was a great support to him when he became a prophet and she was the first Muslim. She didn't question him, in fact she calmed him, she told him words that should be written in gold uh, after he saw the, the angel, the archangel Jibreel alayhi salam. 
after Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam saw this mighty creation of Allah, right? Something from the supernatural. Of course, as a human being, he became afraid and he ran home to her. No, she had nothing but goodness to say to him. She didn't call him mad and call him that, you know, are you okay? Are you hallucinating? You know, perhaps what you and I might, might say today that, no, you know, are you, are you okay? Are you seeing things? Do you need to see a doctor? No. She, she was supportive of her husband and uh, how supportive and told him words that should be written in gold that brought about peace and calm. And then she even sought the solution for him, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, and took him to her uncle. She said, I have an uncle that perhaps will be able to assist us in this matter because he's well versed with uh, the scripture of previous prophets. Let's go see him. And this is what a wonderful team member does. You know, just bringing back the lesson, bringing alive the text. You know, a wonderful team member is that team member that doesn't bring you problems. They bring you solutions. You know, they don't bring you the problem. They bring you calm amidst the storm and the solution that will help you get out of the storm. This was her Khadija radiallahu anha. You know, we should have a course, leadership skills from the life of Khadija radiallahu anha. Allahu Akbar. Right? Um... Because, you know, we, we celebrate uh, all uh, the, the amazing Muslims, irrespective of gender. Uh, so, brothers and sisters, uh, she was his first wife, and, and with her, uh, uh, whilst Rasulullah wasallam was married to her, uh, he never married any other female. And Rasulullah wasallam when he lost her, uh, he was extremely affected. It was a tough year uh, for him. Uh, and in that same year, he lost... Uh, Abu Talib, he lost Abu Talib, uh, another uh, great supporter. But when he lost Khadija radiallahu anha, uh, he was extremely hurt. And, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave all the children of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam to him via Khadija uh, radiallahu anha. And this is another uh, element, you know, that makes us understand how amazing she was as a female, that Allah chose her. And also, uh, or, or let me just qualify that all his children except Ibrahim, except his son Ibrahim. Uh, but all his children except Ibrahim were given to him via Khadija radiallahu anha. Also, she was uh, the female that uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent salams to via Jibreel alayhi salam. Imagine that. Imagine that. Jibreel alayhi salam comes to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam and tells him, and this is in the sunnah, tells him that your wife is going to enter upon you just now. Khadija is going to enter upon you just now. And when she does, let her know that Allah has passed her uh, salam. Allahu Akbar. Allahu Akbar. just saying that makes my hair stand. Wallahi, it just, uh, it makes your hair stand. Imagine. Yani, you know, if, 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 a, if a human being of, of, of status uh, sends us salam, we feel, we feel special. We feel remembered. That subhanAllah, somebody visits our land from far away and he says, you know, this, this famous person, uh, he passes you salam. Doesn't it make your day, my dear brothers and sisters? It really, really makes your day, makes your week, makes your month, perhaps makes your life, right? And here the Lord of the worlds is sending salam. Imagine, you know, uh, how, can we imagine what Khadija radiallahu anha felt when she heard this from the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam that by the way, Allah passes you salam, Allahu Akbar. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala enter us into Jannah. Ameen, ameen. So, um, this was Khadija radiallahu anha. And uh, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam would remember her dearly. 
after she passed away, uh, even after he, he married his other wives. Uh, in fact, Aisha radiallahu anha is famously known for, for telling Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam that why do you keep remembering her? You know, he remembered her so much that even when the friends of Khadija radiallahu anha would visit, uh, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam would remember her. And would remember her from, you know, uh, would, he would remember his wife. And Khadija radiallahu anha would, would say that, well, why do you remember her? She was, she was an old lady. <laughs> you know, uh, subhanallah. And this is human nature, especially with the females, right? They're overprotective of their husbands. And this is how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has made the fitrah. Has made the fitra, and even with 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 non-Muslims, right? Even though uh, they they they've, they've stopped uh, respecting the institution of marriage, and choose to live their life outside of the scope of marriage as boyfriend and girlfriend, they actually uh, you know become extremely upset or depressed if um, the husband or if the husband cheats, for example, as they quote unquote say uh, in their speech. And the husband too will become very upset if the wife cheats. And it's a means of, of them separating. In fact, we have even laws, physical laws, where the courts uh, would step in and uh, distribute the wealth uh, in a way that is suitable or conducive to the one who is honest in the relationship. Right? And the court would take into consideration dishonesty from uh, you know, um, the, the party that was dishonest. So even legal laws, if we go into uh, uh, you know, uh, laws of countries, right? civil law, right? um, there, there, there's laws that, um, uh, that, that guide a judge in his ruling. And uh, the guidance is offered towards the one who was honest. Right? So this is human nature. This is human nature, where you know, we um, consider what is ours, ours, and that emotional investment then comes into play, and we become pr- overprotective. Right? This is human nature. So here Aisha radiallahu anha is telling the Prophet wasallam, being overprotective of a husband, and even knowing that he's got other wives, that now you're remembering the one that's passed away, and Allah gave you something better, because we know Aisha radiallahu anha was the only virgin uh, that Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam married. Khadija radiallahu anha was much older. So, uh, and she was married prior. So we see here that she's saying that, Oh Prophet of Allah, until when are you going to remember her? She was old and Allah gave you somebody better. And Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said to her, By Allah, no, Allah didn't give me somebody better. And he goes on to mention uh, how she believed in him when no one did and supported him when no one did and so on and so forth. How amazing is that when a husband can speak about his wife so beautifully even after she passes away. May Allah make our wives similar to Khadija radiallahu anha. Ameen. And may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala guide our husbands to become uh, diligent husbands as well. Uh, Ameen. Uh, so, um, after he married Khadija radiallahu anha, then we see revelation coming to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam when the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam was 40 years of age. And in terms of 40 years of age, then this was a norm with regards to Allah giving prophethood to uh, the Prophets. And uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala describes 40 in the Quran as being um, uh, the, 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 the point of complete maturity in terms of physical maturity and mental uh, maturity. So it's the perfect way or the perfect time uh, to take on the responsibility. There's enough wisdom, there's enough maturity. And uh, wisdom is needed in the da'wah. Wisdom is needed uh, in uh, the da'wah. Um, and definitely, you know, you'll make less mistakes uh, in the da'wah after 40 than you will make before 40. Allah knows best. 
but this seems like a pattern and something that we can consider established. So Allah gave His Messenger prophethood at 40. And uh, even in terms of you know discussions nowadays and, and modern day research, um, uh, it, it actually says that those habits which you can't get rid of before 40, they'll be stuck with you for the rest of your life. Right? So what you are upon, you know, before 40, you will definitely be upon it and perhaps in a bigger way after 40. Right? So this is what trends have shown. And, and we know today, uh, as part of research, is, is the study of trends. So trends have shown this. So, you know, um, and, and, and also trends have shown that after 40, then it's a sort of downhill kind of thing. Right? <laughs> uh, in terms of your mental strengths, your physical strengths, you, you become weaker, shay and fashay, uh, slowly but surely as you start reaching the end of your life. And this is how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has made us. This is how uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has made us. But um, I, I warn you against thinking that after you 40, then you are unable. No, you are able. And take pride in, in, in you being able from the fact that Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa became a prophet at the age of 40. Right? And uh, I have seen personally uh, my own teachers in their 80s who are upon amazing mental health. You know, and, and they actually teach us from the top of their head. And they mention specifics as if they're, they're a young person with photographic memory. I personally have had teachers uh, with these abilities. And, and have taken comfort in that uh, old age doesn't make you senile or, or doesn't have to be uh, the reason why you senile or suffer dementia or any of these mental uh, difficulties that uh, quote-unquote come about, about with uh, the result of age. Right? If you look after your mind through good reading and look after your health through being fit, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will give you uh, an able mind in your old age, probably a mind more able than what it used to be before. I actually had a teacher teach me Islamic inheritance. And some of the most intricate um, you know, uh, rulings in Islamic inheritance and uh, mathemat- mathematical functions and, 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 and solvings in Islamic inheritance from the top of his head. So forget about him knowing, you know, just text. We're talking about uh, a built-in calculator and he was almost 80 years of age. He was almost 80 years of age, my dear brothers and sisters. But he's working out math, complex math, uh, you know, functions in his mind, subhanAllah, that would take you time to do even if you used a calculator. Allahu Akbar. And he was almost 80. So take uh, pride in this and take guidance in this. That you know, even in your old age, it's not too late to memorize the Quran. It's not too late to learn the Quran. It's not too late to learn the Arabic language that will help you understand the Quran. Uh, take pride from this, my dear brothers and sisters. And don't let Iblis and Shaitan make you feel uh, otherwise. So revelation came to him, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Now when did this revelation come? Um, there's a view that this revelation came to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam in the month of Ramadan. Right? Uh, and most specifically on the night of power because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Shahru Ramadan alladhi unzila fihi al-Qur'an. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Inna anzalnahu fi laylatil qadr. So he became a prophet in uh, Ramadan. Some other scholars say, no, he became a prophet in Rabi' al-Awwal. In Rabi' Um, so they say that he became a prophet. Uh, in fact, some of them are specific. They say on the eighth day uh, of Rabi' al-Awwal, um, 
41 years after uh, the incident of the elephant. 41 years after, uh, or, or in the 41st year rather, in the 41st year after uh, the year of uh, the elephant. So the Prophet ﷺ was 40. And this is the view of the majority, by the way, that he became a prophet uh, in the month of Rabi' al awwal um, uh, in the 41st year after the year of the elephant. And there is another view, as I shared, which says that he became a prophet in uh, the month of Ramadan. Uh, some scholars join between the two opinions and say that he started seeing dreams that became true. Because revelation uh, hap- happens in, in, in several ways. We'll come to that just now. Um, but they say that um, one of the ways of revelation is having true dreams. And he started having true dreams in Rabi'ul Awwal which lasted six months as we find in authentic narrations. And Rabi'ul Awwal is six months from Ramadan. So he had true dreams uh, from Rabi'ul Awwal and Jibreel visited him in uh, Ramadan. Uh, so this is, is, is what they, they say. Um, but just to let you know, those scholars who say that uh, revelation came to him in Rabi'ul Awwal, then they explained the ayah, the ayah in the Qur'an, where Allah says, إِنَّا أَنزَلْنَاهُ فِي لَيْلَةِ الْقَدْرِ وَشَهْرُ رَمَضَانَ الَّذِي أُنزِلَ فِيهُ الْقُرْآنِ The ayah which says that Allah revealed the Qur'an in the month of Ramadan. They say that what Allah means here is that which Ibn Abbas radiallahu anhuma uh, mentioned in a narration which is considered marfu' which is considered as raised to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa Why? Because in this narration he's talking about the unseen. And he could never speak about the unseen except if he heard it from the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa So even though he's saying it, they consider his statement as raised to the Prophet, marfu' uh, as would be termed in the science of hadith. Right? So even though he's saying it, they say that he's speaking about the unseen. And we know that he wouldn't lie. So the fact that he's saying it means he got it from someone who knew about the unseen. And the only one who knew about the unseen was the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa And in that narration he says that Allah revealed the Qur'an uh, to, uh, in, in two stages. The first stage was a complete revelation from Allah al-Mahfuz, from the preserved tablet, to... Um, to, bait, to, to, to the first heaven, to a place known as the house of honor, al-bayt al-izzah, the house of honor. So this is what they say, that this happened in Ramadan, and this happened on the night of power. So when Allah says, شَهْرُ رَمَضَانَ الَّذِي أُنزِلَ فِيهِ الْقُرْآنِ That the month of Ramadan is the month in which we reveal the Qur'an, it doesn't mean that Iqra came to the Prophet in Ramadan. Rather, it means that the Qur'an was revealed from the preserved tablet to the first heaven, to a place known as the house of honor uh, in Ramadan, and most specifically on the night of power. And then from there is the second stage of revelation, which is revelation coming to the Prophet ﷺ over a period of 23 years. Piecemeal. We say piecemeal, we mean in stages. So it came to the Prophet ﷺ piecemeal over uh, a period of 23 years uh, from the house of honor to the Prophet ﷺ via Jibreel ﷺ, of course. So they say that uh, this ayah which says the Qur'an was revealed in Ramadan doesn't mean that Iqra came to him ﷺ in the cave in Ramadan, rather it came to the house of honor. Uh, in Ramadan, the Quran was revealed in one chunk in its totality to the house of honor, 
uh, in Ramadan on the night of power, and then from there it came to the Prophet ﷺ piecemeal or in stages over uh, 23 years. And Allah knows best. But as I said, some try and join between the narrations. And they say that, look, or join between the views rather. And say that if, if we look at Rabiul Awwal, then we see that it's six months from Ramadan. And we know that uh, his revelation first came to him in the form of true dreams. Uh, and that lasted six months. And then Jibreel came to him after that. Right? And uh, that would entail Jibreel having come to him in the month of Ramadan with Iqra. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best. Now, what are the different types of revelation. Uh, the scholars of tafsir uh, mention uh, in uh, the books known as Usul al-Tafsir or the principles of tafsir, they say revelation came to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam in uh, six ways. And some add a seventh. And the seventh is disputed. And uh, we'll discuss that just now. So they say that it came to him in six ways. Uh, firstly, in the form of dreams, uh, or true dreams, a ru'ya as-sadiqa, a ru'ya as-sadiqa, and uh, it says that um, he would not see a dream except that it would, uh, you know, he, uh, he would then see it again the same. Uh, uh, he, he would actually see the dream whilst he was awake, or see the, uh, see the real version of the dream. So he'd see a dream and see that dream become a reality. And uh, in the Sunnah, we we see it being described as 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 mithil falak. As-subh. So the scholars uh, describe Falak as-subh as the reality, as the, the reality, that he would see a dream and then he would see it in reality. And many a times for those who visit, those scholars who can interpret dreams, they talk about this concept of Falak as-subh, which, talks, uh, which constitutes uh, dreams uh, coming true, which constitutes dreams uh, coming true. Now I don't advise that you get all your dreams interpreted, that's not what I'm saying, especially bad dreams. From the etiquettes of bad dreams is not to get the dream interpreted. The only dreams that you should, you should endeavor to get interpreted if you really feel the need to uh, is good dreams. Is good dreams. Because dreams are of two of, of, of types. You have, you have good dreams, then you have bad dreams, and then you have uh, what they call uh, you know, uh, human thought which is a process of your day being played back to you at night when you sleep. And this happens for many reasons. Sometimes stress causes it, you know, exam stress. This can happen. Right? How many times have you had an exam and you wake up at night thinking you're late for the exam, only to realize it's still night, alhamdulillah. And this is obviously for those who sleep at night, right? Some people don't sleep the night before the exam. Um, uh, but I'm sure many of us have experienced this, or, or we have, uh, you know, a presentation at work. There, there's some anxiety, and and uh, that anxiety plays itself uh, in our heads. And and for those who've studied the science of sleeping, then you've seen, you know, REM sleep and NREM sleep, which is um, uh, which which talks about a random. Um, uh, random activity sort of sleep where, you, where, where your eyes move a bit more and, and other sleep which is not so random and, and, and you don't get the eye movement. Uh, I read this a while ago, the specific points. Um, uh, I cannot recall at the moment, but, but Google it inshallah uh, and have a read on this. So this is the type of dream that we have, but it, it's, it's, not a, it's a dream because of uh, some physical elements such as stress, uh, for example. Uh, and then true dreams is of two types. We have true dreams, uh, sorry, good dreams is of two types. Uh, those dreams that are good, 
but don't necessarily come true. But they are dreams which make us happy when we wake up. Uh, and Rasulullah taught us some etiquettes with regards to the, these type of dreams. Um, um, for example, um, you know, we should not relay the dream to just anybody. It doesn't mean that you saw a good dream that now you should go and put it on Facebook. Right? Uh, especially like today. Today we live in an age where, mashallah, uh, you know, I, I, I sometimes joke with my teams and, and, and I say, you know, uh, one of the important uh, elements in any function, in any team, in any company, in any division, uh, is, is something we call uh, RTU, real-time updates. <laughs> right? uh, real-time updates in management, we say, turns on the lights. It turns on the lights, meaning it keeps us um, current, in terms of our endeavors, and we're able to tweak our approaches. And in da'wah, this is very important, to always you know, gather data, and to have the, uh, the ability to synthesize the data, and interpret the data. Uh, this gives us real-time updates, and we're able to tweak ourselves, keep ourselves current, and, and keep ourselves gaining uh, as much as possible from our investment. And as I said, you know, our life in reality is return on um, um, uh, capital employed. And in, 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 in your life and my life, our capital is our time, our capital is our wealth, our capital is our health, our capital is, um, uh, you know, uh, our youth, uh, you know, our young age. As Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said in the sunnah, اِخْتَنِمْ خَمْسْ قَبْلَ خَمْسْ That take advantage of five before five, right? And he tells us to take advantage of our life before our death, this is capital. Life is capital. He tells us to take, uh, to make use of our health before sickness. Being healthy is capital. He tells us to make use of our free time before we become busy. You know, free time is capital. He tells us to make use of our wealth before we become impoverished. Right? So wealth is, is, is capital as well. He tells us to make youth of our, use of our, our, of our youthfulness before we become old. So being young is, is, is capital. So what is our rate on capital employed? How have we used all this uh, for the betterment of our hereafter? How well have we invested? How, well have, uh, how mature have we been in our investments? And this is why I tell our young boys and girls that you don't have to do everything, but do it uh, properly, right? Do it properly. Do it properly. Do one thing and do one thing properly. You don't have to do 10 things and do it in an improper way. This is not good return on capital employed. This is not good return on capital employed. You're not using yourself efficiently. We just spoke about shaitan and how he uses, he's got a lifetime to live. And even then, he, he, he uses his resources properly. May Allah protect us from Iblis and shaitan. Right? Um, so what about you and I, alhamdulillah? And we have the guidance of the messenger, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Right, so um, it's important to look after our elements and our entities, and look after them well. Look after them well. You know, my father used to always tell me that you know one full cup is better than three half cups. Even though three half cups gives you one and a half cups of water, but one full cup is still better. Why? Because it's complete. The other three cups are incomplete. They still half cups. Whatever you want to say. The reality is they are half cups. You cannot say, you know, even if you say I have one and a half cups of water, well, you can't really confidently say that. You can only say, in effect, I have one and a half cups of water. But in reality, I have three half cups. Right? But what can you call complete and put on your CV, for example? 
and, and, and benefit from that which is complete. You know, when you go to a company and say, I'm halfway studying my, you know, degree, uh, it's not the same as going to a company and saying, I've completed it and here's the certificate. If you get what I'm saying, uh, my dear brothers and sisters, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, knows that this is, this is another footnote for your own development in terms of the organizations that you run and even yourselves. Uh, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make it beneficial. Uh, so this was one way of revelation that Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa would see these dreams. And um, we were talking about Facebook and real-time updates. And this was the discussion uh, that took us into Rose. That, you know, I joke with the teams that subhanAllah today, uh, we live our lives with real-time updates. We're eating a food at a restaurant, mashaAllah, the camera comes out. And, and, and now, you know, we'll even say we took it with this camera and this many pixels and it's brought out this flavor from the food and this ingredient from the food, mashaAllah. And then it ends up on Facebook. MashaAllah, I ate at this restaurant today and this is what I had for breakfast and this is what I had for lunch and this is what I had, uh, you know, uh, for this and this is what I had for that and this is where I am right now. We make, you know, we, we offer real-time updates, real-time updates about our life. And this is dangerous, brothers and sisters. Right? This is dangerous. Firstly, it makes, it makes other people inactive in some way or form. Because how is someone going to benefit reading about your life? So if somebody is going to be on Facebook, give them something beneficial to read. Help your brothers and sisters. Right or wrong, my dear brothers and sisters? Right? Help them. Help them. Don't give them something that's going to further waste their time. You know, you need to be that light, that beacon of guidance. Because that's what a Muslim is, and that's who a Muslim is. Right? So if you know that somebody's going to be out there wasting their time, don't help them waste their time further by giving them something, you know, useless to see. Give them something beneficial to read. Perhaps through it, guidance will come to them and they'll become better people, uh, or better with their resources. Right? So uh, this is dangerous for this reason. The second reason is the evil eye. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protect. Right? The evil eye. Right? You know, a lot of the time we put up things and, and somebody might not necessarily be jealous of us, but they might be amazed by what you've put up. And they forget about Allah in that amazement. And the shayateen have an opportunity to chase that particular process and cause harm to come to you because of it. May Allah protect. Where, you know, these freak accidents happen in your life. You know, you get sick in a weird way. Allah protect us. You know, all of a sudden, uh, you start feeling stressed when you never used to be a stressful person. All of a sudden, you're home. You know, all of a sudden, you end up having regular arguments with your wife or with your husband. It never, it never used to be the case. Right? And subhanAllah, then shaitan deceives us in, to, to such an extent that we don't even think of ruqya and think of uh, considering evil eye uh, and so on and so forth as, as a means of our retrogression currently. Right? Until the marriage ends up becoming something no more, or, or, or you know, our progress ends up becoming something no more. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protect. So these are reasons why you don't want to be people who are you know, giving these real-time updates on Facebook all the time. I'm not saying once in a while you, can, you, you shouldn't do it. No, you can. Once in a while is beneficial. But every time is not so beneficial. So now you have a good dream. Some people end up sticking it up on Facebook, sticking it up on Twitter. Oh, last night this is what I dreamt. And... Uh, this is against the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ. Because the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ is not to reveal good dreams, except to those people who are trustworthy and wish the best for you. And we learn this from this chapter of Yusuf, or Surah Yusuf. 
Because Yaqub told Yusuf not to release this dream to anybody else. Not to release this dream to his own brothers. Why? Lest they shall plot against you. Right? So this etiquette of not revealing our good dreams and good fortunes to everybody is from the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ. In fact, in a hadith which some of the scholars have considered acceptable, Rasulullah ﷺ says, إِسْتَعِينُوا عَلَىٰ قَضَاءِ حَوَائِجِكُمْ بِالْكِتْمَانِ That assist yourselves in the things that you do by keeping it a secret. By keeping it a secret. Assist yourself by keeping it a secret. Subhanallah, how do we assist ourselves by keeping it a secret, Ya Allah? By not, you know, flaunting it, so that inshallah it, it doesn't become a means for the evil eye to affect you. And other evil, which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has placed with divine wisdom. Right? We, we know that from the articles of faith is to believe that good and bad faith is from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Right? And, and Allah creates evil uh, with, with, with divine wisdom. Allah is all wise as to why it's there, and Allah tests us with it. But don't be a means to opening the doors for any evil to harm you. May Allah protect us from evil. Amin. Allahumma adfa'anna al-ghala, wal-waba, wal-riba, wal-zina, wal-zalazila, wal-mihan, wa-su'al-fitan, ma-zahara minha wa ma-batan. Amin. We ask Allah to protect us from all evil, manifest evil and hidden evil. Amin. Ya Rabbal Alameen. But, istainu. The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam says, assist yourself. عَلَىٰ قَضَاءِ حَوَائِجِكُمْ بِالْكِتْمَانِ فَإِنَّ لِكُلِّ ذِي نِعْمَةٍ مَنْ يَحْسُدُهُ In some narrations, this is an addition to the narration. That for, for indeed, every person who has a blessing, there is some other person who is jealous of it. Right? So, uh, coming back to the etiquettes of dreams, do not uh, you know, uh, release your good dreams, uh, except to those who you trust. So, uh, you know, the, the, the good dreams are of two types. A good dream and the other one is a true dream which is a good dream which becomes true. A good dream which becomes true. And if your good dream becomes true, then that's a blessing from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Praise Allah. Thank Allah. Because Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said that nothing remains of prophethood except mubashirat. Except mubashirat. And when they asked the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam about the meaning of mubashirat, he said, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, true dreams. Ru'ya as-sadiqah, true dreams. True dreams. So, um, this is a, 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 a mercy from Allah. You know, uh, Allah has blessed you. Alhamdulillah, thank Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that, that, that he, he, he gave you this true dream. You know, and it's, use it as a means of growing your iman in Allah. And many times we have this concept of deja vu, where we actually see something in front of us and we can actually interpret what's going to happen next before it even happened. You know, it's, it's probably been a case where one day you're driving and, and you're actually looking for a place and, you know, you all of a sudden become engulfed by this feeling like you've actually been in this place before. And you took a, a right turn and a left turn and the, the, the place you're looking for was on the right, for example. And you do exactly that and what happens? It's exactly how it was. Exactly how you thought. Allahu Akbar. And you think to, to yourself, but I never came here before. How did this happen? Right? This deja vu concept. Allah showed it to you in your subconscious, in a dream. Before. Right? It's a communication from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The doors of revelation are closed. And prophethood is, 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 is shut. 
But Allah communicates with, with, with the Ummah, or Allah can communicate with the Ummah through true dreams, as Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam taught us. May Allah gather us with Him in Jannah. And may Allah bless us with good dreams and true dreams. Ameen. Ameen. You know, one of the ways to have uh, true dreams is to be an honest person. The Sunnah teaches us that, that those who are the most honest in speech, they're the most honest and true in their dreams. Those who are most honest in their speech, they're the most honest and true in their dreams. And that's why we should not even joke, uh, lie in our jokes, my dear brothers and sisters. May Allah protect us. We shouldn't lie in our jokes. Rasulullah said, Woe to the person who lies even when they joke. Right? We should be truthful as much as we can. You know, even in our speech, in our lecture, sometimes we want to joke to, you know, uh, to keep the audience, uh, you know, connected. We shouldn't lie in that. We shouldn't lie in it. And it doesn't mean if a particular, you know, uh, student of knowledge does it that, it, that, that, that we should adopt it as a norm and say, well, he does it, we should do it. No, every human being is prone to mistake. Every human being is prone to mistake and, and prone to being corrected, my dear brothers and sisters. So, um, try and be as honest and as possible in all your speech. And remember that Allah is a samir Allah is the all-hearing and Allah hears you. Right? And those who are most, on, most honest in their speech, they are the most uh, true in terms of their dreams. And may Allah make us you know, have that dream that we all desire to have, you know, where we see Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam in our dream. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bless us with those dreams. Ameen. So Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam would see these true dreams. This was one of the ways of revelation. Uh, a second type of, uh, or a second manner, uh, in which revelation would, re- would, would reach the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam would be, uh, you know, uh, based upon uh, Jibreel alayhi salam communicating with Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam whilst he is hidden. So Jibreel is hidden and Jibreel alayhi salam uh, uh, with the permission of Allah uh, proj- gets, you know, uh, gets the information to the self of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Right, um, gets the, the the revelation into the self of the of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, and the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam becomes knowledgeable about it, and the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam reveals it. The Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam reveals it, and this is established uh, in uh, the Sunnah as well, where Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam said, "Inna ruha al-Qudusi nafatha fi fi ru'i annahu lan tamuta nafsun hatta tastakmila rizqha." So this is uh, established in the Sunnah, or it's an acceptable hadith uh, in the Sunnah, where Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam said that indeed Jibril alaihi salam ruh al-Qudus has has sort of blown into me. Uh, into myself, uh, this knowledge that no soul shall taste death until that soul has completed all of its sustenance. All of its sustenance. Right? Um, so this is a hadith. Right? إِنَّ النَّفْسَ لَن تَمُوتَ حَتَّى تَسْتَكْمِلَ رِزْقَهَا So he, he says that Jibreel has blown into me and made known to me through this process. So Rasulullah hasn't seen Jibreel here. But the revelation... Uh, has become part of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. He knows it all of a sudden, uh, that no soul shall taste death until um, uh, they have uh, completed all of their sustenance. They have completed all of their sustenance. The last grain of rice that you are supposed to eat, you uh, will not pass away before you uh, eat it. Right? You will not pass away before you eat it. 
right? So this is what uh, he says, sallallahu alayhi wasallam. And this should give us great hope, my dear brothers and sisters, especially, you know, nowadays where uh, we're scared to donate, for example. We think, you know, if we donate, then we won't have money. If we spend in the sake of Allah, we won't have money. You know, I uh, understand that you will not die until you eat your last sustenance, your last grain of rice. Until that's eaten, you will not pass away. Because even if you were to live, how will you survive? There's no, there's no sustenance left for you. Right? So whatever you give to Allah, Allah will give you back. If it means that, you know, your sustenance uh, is there for you. And this is what yaqeen is, my dear brothers and sisters. When we say, have tawakkul, have trust in Allah, put your trust in Allah. Now, I'm not saying go and give all your belongings out in charity. No. But as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَيَسْأَلُونَكَ مَاذَا يُنْفِقُونَ قُلِ الْعَفُو You know, Allah says that they ask you about, you know, what they should spend, then tell them al-'afu. They should spend that which is Access to their requirement, access to that which they need. Even if they only have two dollars, but and, and they're not considered rich because they only have two dollars, but they only need one. If they only need, need one, then they can spend from the other one. That is access to their requirement. Right? So I hope this answers the question, my dear brothers and sisters. The other way that revelation would come to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam would be when Jibreel would come to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, came to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam in the form of a man. And Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam would see him, and sometimes the companions would see him as well. As is in the famous hadith of Jibreel, uh, when he came to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, dressed smart, with no sign of travel, uh, no sign of dust, and, 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 and he wasn't from Medina, and the Sahaba never knew him. And all of a sudden he sat right next to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, and he told the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam to teach him about Islam, and to teach him about uh, uh, Iman, and to teach him about Ihsan, and to teach him about the signs of the hour, and then when Jibreel left, the Prophet ﷺ told the companions that, do you know who this person is? And they said, no. So he said, this was Jibreel and he came to teach you your religion. So Jibreel would come in the form of a man. Another way that a revelation would come to the Prophet ﷺ, and this was the most severe way, would be in the form, or in a form similar to the ringing of a bell. To the ringing of a bell. And... Um, uh, some of the companions would say that they would actually see sweat, uh, fall, uh, sweat on the Prophet sallallahu face on a cold day, even though uh, it's a cold day or cold night, they would actually uh, see sweat uh, appearing, uh, given how difficult this way of receiving uh, revelation was, and. Uh, in some of the narrations, it actually states uh, that uh, the, 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 the riding animal of Rasulullah would kneel down because of uh, the weight of revelation in this particular manner. So this was a fourth way. A fifth way uh, would be uh, in the form of Rasulullah seeing Jibreel in his original form. And this happened twice. Um, uh, in in uh, or twice in in terms of what we know, as Allah Subhanahu wa Taala says in Surah Al-Najm, Surah Al-Najm in Ayah number seven and Ayah number thirteen. So Allah Subhanahu wa Taala teaches us in Surah Al-Najm, Ayah number seven and thirteen, uh, two times that Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam saw uh, Jibril alayhi salam uh, in his original form. 
and he was a mighty angel uh, indeed. And we know that uh, he ran to Khadija radiallahu anha after uh, seeing Jibreel alayhi salam, uh, obviously fearful of uh, what he had just seen. So this was another way uh, that he would receive revelation sallallahu alayhi wasallam. Um, another way that Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam would receive revelation or did receive revelation as our scholars say is when he sallallahu alayhi wasallam was taken up to the heavens uh, during uh, al-mi'raj the ascension to the heavens we have al-isra and al-mi'raj al-isra is the journey by night from masjid al-haram to uh, bayt al-maqdis and then there was the mi'raj which was the ascension to uh, the seventh heavens there rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam received uh, revelation he sallallahu alayhi wasallam received uh, revelation such as salah being compulsory and other uh, matters that allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave him uh, during that night another way uh, that he would receive revelation, and this is the seventh way, uh, is uh, in a, in, 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 uh, by the way of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealing to him without Jibreel alayhi salam. Without Jibreel alayhi salam. And obviously uh, the scholars say in this way, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam never saw Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So these are the seven ways. The seventh way is him receiving revelation whilst uh, without Jibreel being uh, a, middle, uh, a middle being in the process. He would receive, he would understand revelation directly from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Some scholars mention an eighth way. And as I said, this is a disputed way. And they say the eighth way is receiving revelation whilst he saw Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And the reality is the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa seeing Allah is... Um, a matter of difference of opinion even between the pious predecessors before us amongst the Sahaba. Because we have uh, the hadith of Aisha radiallahu anha, which is in the Sahih, in which she says that no one has seen Allah, and if anyone says that they have seen Allah, uh, he has lied. And she even said that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam never saw Allah, and whoever says that he did has lied. Right? Um, so... Um, this is what she has said, radiyallahu uh, anha. Um, and obviously, the, the, uh, there's another narration from another companion which states that uh, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam saw Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And thus, uh, between the companions, there was a difference of opinion. But what is more correct and Allah knows best is the narration of Aisha radiyallahu anha. For indeed, uh, she would be most knowledgeable of these matters, especially given that she was uh, the wife of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Just coming to some of the questions in the box, uh, it's ayah number 7. Ayah number 7 and ayah number 13. Surah Al-Najm, ayah number 7 and ayah number 13. In these ayat, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that, uh, or, or, or teaches us that Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam saw Jibreel alayhi salam uh, in his natural form twice. So brothers and sisters, uh, sadly our time has come to an end and alhamdulillah we have uh, managed to complete the seven ways that Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam received uh, revelation. And as I said, this is a discussion big in a science known as usul al-tafsir. Uh, and I've also mentioned to you an eighth view, which is a matter of difference. And we've said the correct view is that uh, there's only seven. Because Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam never saw Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best. With that, we come to the end of our sixth session. Alhamd. We ask Allah to accept it from us. We ask Allah to make it heavy on our scales of good deeds. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to bless us. 
and to increase our knowledge. And um, I uh, thank uh, Brother Hisham for, mashallah, his skills with the keyboard and Google. Mashallah, he managed to pull out uh, the ayat and the ahadith um, that I have been sharing with you in totality. And, and for those listening to the recording, we have another reason for you to attend uh, the class live, mashallah, because uh, you actually get um, uh, the notes in this fashion. Uh, but perhaps for those who can't attend, then maybe we can help them if we, if we can take screenshots of the whiteboard. I believe it was done last week, and then what we can do is send it to everybody as well. We can send the screenshots attached along with uh, the summary of the notes, and perhaps this will be beneficial. Wallahu a'lam. I'll leave this to the, the, the provisions team uh, to decide, because mashallah, uh, I have seen that, you know, even though the, the notes are student notes that you've, you've, you've been putting up, uh, but mashallah, the, the notes have been very decent. Walillahi alhamdulillah. Once again, my dear brothers and sisters, uh, the, the, the crux should be uh, what I say in the lesson and in the recordings uh, not the notes there may be mistakes in the notes Allah knows best the team is trying the level best to ensure that there's no mistakes there but if there is any confusion then please refer to the recording bi'ithnillahi ta'ala jazakumullah khairan for your attendance jazakumullah khairan uh, to the provisions team uh, may Allah accept from us may Allah bless us and may Allah preserve us in his obedience and bring us together for many more sessions um, the t- time is flying as we started off today saying and uh, this particular part of season one will come to an end uh, around mid-May. All right, around mid-May. So it's not so long to go, my dear brothers and sisters. I think we just have about four uh, lessons uh, left. Uh, please don't forget about the forums before I end. Brother Hisham is going to be sending out the topic for discussion. Uh, insha'Allah. Uh, so, you know, please don't be afraid to participate, to be thoughtful, to think. You know, I don't want this to be a session where you just come in and hear that which makes you feel good. I rather want it to be a session that allows you to come in and make you think about certain things. The world today needs thinkers and we need speakers who make us think as well. Wallahi, the world is in need of this. Um, you know, yes, we are in need of speakers also who make us feel good, but we are more in need of lessons that make us think as opposed to those lessons that make us feel good, especially in uh, an age where uh, there's just too many things happening and fitan has, has become the norm of the day and the norm of the night. And, uh, you know, uh, if we're not going to think, then, you know, we're going to end up falling prey uh, to that which is not considered the ideal and before it's too late, we might be in misguidance. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protect us. So this is my humble message to you all. Hada wallahu a'lam. Everything correct said is from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And He is perfect. And any mistakes are from myself and shaytan. And I seek Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's forgiveness. I love you all for the sake of Allah. Until lesson 7 next week. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Subhanallahi wa bihamdihi. Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdika. Nashhadu an la ilaha illa ant. Nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilayk.